Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. Last week, we kicked off uh, the new year, and in doing so, you should have gotten a uh, reading plan to guide you through uh, this year, through the Word, as we go through the Word together. If you didn't, or if you need another one, there there should be still some in the back. We'll keep those there all year long, because if you're like me, hey, you're probably going to lose that somewhere along the way this year. So be sure to pick one of those up if you need one, but we kicked off the year by going back to the very beginning looking at God's creation, and especially how God created mankind. And we very briefly talked about uh, the perfection of God's handiwork. I just, I'm not going to break anything on stage this morning, okay? I'll just go ahead and put that disclaimer out there. But we talked very briefly about how uh, God's handiwork was so perfect. Creation was perfect, but we, through our sin brought chaos and destruction and even death into God's perfect creation. And so from that moment on, moving forward, God immediately, right in the middle of our mess, God immediately promised in His grace to deal with our fallenness, to deal with our sin problem. And then the generations began to unfold. And hopefully you've been reading along this week and you've covered a lot of ground historically and scripturally between last week and and this week, right? And so the generations began to unfold. And along the way, we have some good, godly people. We have a lot, a lot, a lot of very sinful, bad, evil people. And it gets so bad and the world gets so evil and, and out of control that God says, I'm going to destroy every bit of it except for one man and his family and everything that's on this this ark. After that, still, man's sinfulness was not dealt with. And so God, as the generations continue to unfold, chooses from everybody in the world one man, one man who would be the father of God's chosen people. And out of this man and his family would come the Savior, the one, the promised seed of the woman from Genesis chapter 3, who actually would deal with our sin, with man's sin once and for all. That one man was Abraham. And we don't have a lot of information about Abram's beginning, about his start, other than where he was when God chose him. And where he was was a very pagan, dark place in the world, Ur of the Chaldeans, what would become Babylon, what would become modern day Iraq. And I can tell you that's still a pretty dark, pagan place. Uh, But God picks this man out of that place and he tells Abram in Genesis chapter 12 that he's going to bless him. That he will bless those that bless him. That he will curse those that curse him. And that out of him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so Abram sets out following God. And Abram has done very well for himself. He comes from a very successful family. He has lots of servants, lots of animals, lots of wealth and power and influence. And he's so powerful. And what I'm doing is I'm trying to catch you up from where we left off in Genesis 2 last week to where we are today in Genesis chapter 15. There's a lot there. And so Abram has done so well and become so powerful that when his nephew Lot is captured during this war between these different kings, 
I, I missed this somewhere along the way, and I've read this so many times. Abram was so powerful that he and his men from his house go and they conquer these four kings and bring Lot back. Abram was a beast. He was a warrior and had a very strong family. And so here's the, this, this amazing scene that happens next. Okay, this is we can't pass this up in Genesis 14. He brings Lot back. He conquers these kings. He's got all the plunder and everything. And this amazing scene happens where this other seemingly random king shows up to honor Abram for his victory. He's the king of Salem named Melchizedek. And he's a really mysterious character. He's only mentioned here and in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 later in the New Testament. Now, some have speculated Melchizedek could have been the pre-incarnate Christ. Some think that Melchizedek could have been Shem, one of the three sons of Noah, who maybe possibly was still alive at this time. But what we certainly know, regardless of who he is or was, he is a picture of Christ. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament, these little pictures, little glimpses of who Christ would be and what Christ would do. And Melchizedek was not only the king of Salem, which would probably later become Jerusalem, he was also high priest of the Most High God. So we have this king priest from Jerusalem comes down to meet Abram, who's God's chosen man. And guess what he brings with him? You can't make this up. Guess what gifts Melchizedek brings to Abram from Jerusalem? Some bread and some wine. And he gives these things to Abram and these things Jesus, of course, would later use to teach his disciples about the sacrifice for them. Then we get to Genesis chapter 15. And God again reminds Abram, he tells him, I'm going to bless you, Abram. I want to do all these wonderful things through you, through your offspring. And Abram, very honestly, he says, Lord, I don't have any children. I don't have any heirs to do these things that you're wanting to do. I've got Eleazar of Damascus as the closest thing to an heir that I have. And God, I love the language of the story. It's almost like God puts his arm around Abram and he takes him, the Bible says, takes him outside. He says, Abram, I want you to look at these stars that I've, I've just created these a little while back. Look at these stars. If you can count them all and put a number on these stars, that's the number of your offspring. And here's what the Bible says. This is the point in the Bible where it says, Abram very simply believed God. And God credited it to him as righteousness. And so then God promises Abram not only about his offsprings, he promises them all this land, but, very, but like us, Abram very much like us, even though he believed God, he still had questions. See, the, the details of these old stories, they may be a little different, but the principles are very much the same. Abram still had questions. And he, he said, God, how will I know you're going to do this, basically? How do I know you're going to give me this land? You're going to give me this, this, this offspring? You're going to give me all this stuff? And for us, again, the questions are, are similar, but they're formed a little differently. Maybe your questions are like, God... God, how do I know that heaven's actually real? God, how do I know that somehow you're going to get me when I die from here to heaven with Jesus? How do I know, God, that, that I'm really saved? Do you know who I am? I, I'm, I mess up a lot. How do I know that I am a Christian? 
I believe, but how do I know, God, that you're going to do your part, the stuff that I can't do, and actually see this through? God answers Abram's questions in a really strange way in Genesis 15. We're going to be in verse 9 this morning. But it's a way that shows us some truths about God keeping His Word. Genesis 15, 9 says, God said to him, Bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, how many would just quit right there and say, God, I don't even know what a turtle dove is. We want to do something different. So he brought all these to him, and here's where it gets weird, cut them in half and laid the pieces opposite each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them, and will be enslaved and oppressed. However... I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And when the sun had said it was dark, a smoking pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring, from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, and then it goes and lists a whole bunch of very specific details. Now, let's be honest. This is a weird passage of Scripture. When we read this today, in 2022, there's a lot of things that you're like, what in the world is going on here? Why would God include this really weird, strange story? And why in the world is our preacher bringing it up out of everything he could have preached on this week? As we go through the word together, you'll notice your reading plan doesn't hit every chapter and every verse, but it hits the high points. I won't say the most important points, but it hits the high points. And along the way, what I want you to learn to do is see how this entire narrative from creation to revelation all points to one person, and that's Jesus. And you begin to see Him on every page of Scripture. There's a lot here. There's a lot on the surface that doesn't make a lot of sense. So let's break it down. The first thing in verses 9 through 11 that we see is God invited Abram to do some stuff. And that's our our point, is God wants my action. God wants my participation. Now, He doesn't need it. Uh, He doesn't need anything that I had to offer. God didn't necessarily need Abraham to do all the things that he wanted to do. But he decided to choose Abraham to include him. And more importantly, he desired to have this unique relationship with him and with his offspring. And so he tells him, "Bring, bring certain things. Cow, goat, ram, turtle dove, pigeon. All these things that later on we'll see will be used for sacrifice under the law of Moses. But notice he said they had to be three years old. It means they were probably in their prime. And God was essentially saying, bring me the very best that you have to bring me, the very best that you have to offer. And then it starts getting weird, right? He brings them and he starts cutting them in half and spreading the pieces out uh, opposite of one another. Now, today, I went to the courthouse this week 
And today when we have to make this agreement that's legally binding, you can't just shake somebody's hand, look them in the eye, and take their word for it anymore, right? So if you want to make an agreement with somebody that's legally binding, there's usually the signing of some kind of document. You get a couple of witnesses to sign it. Then you have to go and get a notary to look at the witnesses and verify that they're correct and put their seal of approval on it. And then you're good to go. You're, you're in this binding, legitimate agreement. And now gathering these animals and cutting them in half and laying these pieces out like this, it sounds really weird to us. But in Abraham's day and in this part of the world, this was as common in making agreement as going to the courthouse and have a notary sign a piece of paper. And so uh, with the agreement made, the two parties in Abraham's day would join hands. They would agree on the terms of this covenant or this agreement. And then together they would walk down this aisle of blood and gore between these two halves of animals, essentially saying and bowing to one another, if I break the terms of our agreement, let what's been done to these animals be done to me. Let me be torn apart and ended. And so God uses something very familiar to Abraham to demonstrate to him very clearly that he is a God of his word. And he invites Abraham to be part of this process. Now, for us today, in our walk with Christ, he still desires our participation. He could do anything he wants to do in this world, but he chooses us to come alongside of him and to participate with him and to bring to him first and foremost our very best, the best of our time and our talents and our treasures. And it's a reminder that our faith as Christians is not a passive faith. We talked about this before. It is a very active faith that's rooted in belief, yes, as we talked about through the book of James, but it's a belief that is so deep and so real that it actually produces something. It's a belief and a faith that is so strong that, that it drives us to action. And in our case, cooperation with the Holy Spirit to, one, make us more like Christ, but also make Christ more known in the world. That's our role as the church. But notice it's not all about action. God also wants my belief. He wants my faith. God desires our trust and faith in him. Earlier in chapter 15, again, the Bible explicitly says, Abram believed God. Abram had faith in God and what God said, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Now, we could go and talk a whole lot about Abram's actions and his, his failures, but he had faith, no doubt. Without faith, the Bible says it's impossible to please God. We are saved by grace through faith. And even Abram, even though he believed, he had some questions, right? He believed what God said. He believed what God was going to do. But even through his life, there were, there were moments of doubt. How many can relate to that? And so he makes all these preparations to enter this covenantal agreement with God. But then God does something strange. God causes Abram to go into a deep sleep. And the language used here is reminiscent of the language used earlier in Genesis when God puts Adam into a deep sleep in order to make Eve. He puts him, takes man out of the picture to do what only God can do. And so God puts Abram in this sleep. He's incapacitated. And God says, Abram, know for certain. Hang on to those words. 
Know without a doubt. Be sure of this. Have no doubt. Have complete faith. And then God begins to tell Abram about how his offspring will become slaves and what we know would be Egypt and how he would judge Pharaoh and he would judge the Egyptians and they will leave there with many possessions. And someday, years and years and generations from then, they would be able to come in and possess the very land where they were, this promised land that God was giving them. And God did all of those things as we'll, we'll read about later throughout the Old Testament just as he told Abram that he would do but here's here's the thing yeah God fulfilled his promises but God he's telling Abram all this right Abram didn't get to see any of this happen he never got to see it but he believed it when God said it he believed God would follow through with his word but with his own eyes he never got to see all this stuff take place most of the time, not always, because Abram was human, but most of the time throughout his life, Abram lived like he believed that God was a God who was going to keep his promises. Now again, he missed the mark occasionally. So do I. But the majority of the time, he believed so deeply in what God told him that it radically impacted his life and the way that he lived. And even if Abram couldn't see those promises in his lifetime, he was willing to be faithful and follow God as far as he could go, trusting somehow that God would, would pick up right where he left off, maybe even if that was in the next generation or the next generation. And, and it makes me wonder, how often do we fail today in believing God to that extent that we lose sight of the big picture? That we lose sight of what God really wants to do. We get so wrapped up in the temporal. We get so wrapped up in, in, our, in our problems or in our, 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 our lives or even just these seasons of life that we forget about the big picture that God's doing. We forget that we're supposed, every Christian is supposed to leave this legacy behind it, that our faith is supposed to be handed down to the next generation of believers. That it's not just about us making it to heaven. It's not just about us getting it all figured out. But it's about us making disciples of our children. And our children's children. And our grandchildren's children. So that one day. We can all be together in the promised land with Jesus. But it's all driven by this belief. That when God says. Hey guys, this is real. Know for certain without a doubt. This is the way it is. And this is how you're going to get there. You're going to get there through Jesus. There's no other way. And when Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm coming back for you, that we believe it so much that like Abram, it, it radically impacts the way that we live this short little life. But here's the really cool part about this story. Yeah, God wants our faith. He wants our action. He wants us to do stuff. He wants us to follow Him. But this is the really cool part that I don't want us to miss this morning. It was God that actually made the covenant. Abram cut the pieces, but God cut the covenant. See, God has Abram set all this up. He tells him what he's going to do. He's going to give him land. He's going to give him descendants like the stars of the heavens. He tells him the earth's going to be blessed because of you. And then under normal circumstances, now it will be Abram's turn to go and say, God, here's what I'm going to do to uphold my end of the deal. You're going to do all this incredible stuff. Here's what I'm going to do for you. 
How many times have you wanted to tell God what you're going to do for him? But God doesn't give Abram that chance. Abram has nothing to offer God in the first place, but God doesn't even make it a possibility. He puts Abram out of the picture, and Abram looks up after dark, and he sees this smoking pot and this flaming fire going down between these animals all by itself. And what we realize is that this smoking pot and this fire all throughout the Old Testament represents the very presence of God Himself. And so God is showing Abraham, Abraham, I am making a covenant with you. And in this covenant, I'm taking full responsibility for everything that we agree upon. I'm taking it all upon myself. You see, God knew that Abram couldn't uphold any part of the agreement. Abram, yes, he's faithful, but he's going to fail God time and time again throughout his life. But God had chosen him. And God was providing everything that Abram could not provide for himself. And I think it's a picture of God's grace and Abraham's faith working together where God makes this covenant that only God could keep. You see what's happening here, right? God is perfectly foreshadowing what he would do with another covenant made with man, a much greater and even better covenant When Jesus, God's son, the high priest and king like Melchizedek took the bread and the wine in the city of Jerusalem, like we talked about last week, and he took the cup after supper and he said, guys, this cup, it's a new covenant. It's a better covenant. It's kind of like the other one, but it's so much greater. This one's not sealed with the blood of animals. This one's sealed in my own blood for you. I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. I know you are sinful people. But I'm doing this so that you can be saved. I'm taking my sin, your sin, upon myself. And in God's grace, he sacrificed his son to ratify the new covenant, keeping his word to Abraham still that that all the nations of the earth, Jews and Gentiles alike, would be blessed through his offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this new covenant is not about the land. It's not about the territory. It's not even about heirs and offspring. The new covenant is what it's always been about, and that's having a relationship with God. And all we have to do is exactly what Abram did. We can't underscore Genesis 15, 6. When it says Abram believed. He believed God. He took this deposit slip of faith and God took it and put righteousness into his account that he couldn't put there by himself. And, and for us, we have to accept and believe through faith who Jesus Christ is, what he did for us on the cross. And we too can be saved. So to go back to our questions, we ask like Abram, how do I know? How do I know God saved me? I don't, I don't, I don't always feel saved. I don't always feel righteous. How do I know that I'm going to go to heaven. I got to sit and talk to a 96-year-old man yesterday who's getting ready to go to heaven. And I think in his mind he'd been wrestling with some of these questions. Looking back over 96 years of his life, he hadn't done anything to earn heaven. 
But he was able to go back to a period, a moment, 86 years ago, when he was 10 years old. And at 96 years old, he could remember every single detail of how his life, not his external life, but how his heart changed that day. And the best way he could articulate it, because honestly, the church has failed, that he was never discipled. He said, I felt such a relief at 10 years old. Something happened when I asked God to save me and forgive me for my sins. And I told him, I said, well, here's what the word of God says. Your story reminds me if you've never been baptized. Your story reminds me very much of this man that Jesus simply told. He gave him his word. You've not earned it. But today you'll get to be with me in paradise. So how do I know? A God that did all of this, that created the heavens and the earth, and then orchestrated all these events and sent His very own Son, a a God that didn't spare His Son for our sake. Listen, that's a God that you can take at His word. And when God says that whosoever would believe in me, would not perish, but could have everlasting life. I believe you can take that to the bank. Stand together as we pray. Father, God, there's some parts of your word for us all these years later that it's hard to understand. It's hard to to wrap our mind around. There's some of it that, if we're honest, sometimes we even have a hard time believing. But God, from the very first words of the Bible to the very end, we see one common theme. It all points to one place. To one person. And that's Jesus. He was with you in the beginning. We see a picture of him in Melchizedek. We see a picture of him in Isaac, Abraham's only son, being sacrificed. We see him in the bread and the wine. It's all about him. And God, what we see through Scripture is that He is the only way for us to be saved. We are a miserably sinful people. But You are a mightily gracious God. And Father, if there's someone here that's just unsure, then maybe they've got questions like, like Abram had questions. Lord, maybe there's someone here that's just flat out not saved. God, I pray today they'd get it right. Lord, that you would just help our unbelief. Give us faith to trust you more. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we sing a song of invitation this morning. If you just need to come and to pray, if there's a decision that you need to make this morning, why don't you come as we sing? Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. 
please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville, or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.